Well, we have um, come to the very last sermon in the book of Hebrews, and um, it's, it's daunting to kind of sum up where we've been, right? Because this has been the second long series that we've done as we've gone through the book of Acts, and now um, the book of Hebrews. Uh, Pastor Jeff did the book of Philippians uh, before that, and uh, what an honor to sit around God's Word. People, people of God, just for a moment. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful that we have the freedom to sit and hear and meditate on God's Word the way that we have been? Isn't it a privilege? It has been for us as pastors. Um, this has been a long book, but man, so rich, right? So deep. It's like treasure again and again and again. This week has been... Um, uh, like, like all weeks this time of year, this September 11th week is a challenging one for many, many people in our country. But for me as well, um, you know, I um, go back to this turning point in my life uh, around 1990 and 1991 when I found myself working in the towers um, of the World Trade Center, at least just one of them, the North Tower. And um, um, I remember this one day, and I've shared this in my testimony with you, with you guys at other times, but I'm just going to say this again. There was a day where I just um, was doing my work and was tired, and I looked out the window, and uh, it was lunch break, and I was thinking I'd like to go out on the veranda, and from this building, you can see the other building because they're so close, and just the grandeur and the beauty of it, and I used to just love sitting outside and eating, and I... I remember this one day looking out the window and just seeing the sea of navy blue suits coming out for air um, from, from these buildings. And it was a moment where I felt a turning point in my life because I really felt like God was speaking to me that day. As I was in a transition, I was thinking about my future life, and um, I really felt like God was telling me, you're going in a different place. I'm sending you a different way not the way that you think. Now let me express to you my real heart. I wanted that life. I wanted to be rich. I wanted to be a jet setter. I wanted to travel around the world like those uh, men and women who worked um, next to me. But there was this moment, and this is why I'm, I'm sharing this with you again. It was a moment where I had to make a decision. Is my way better? Or is God's way better? Is what I can do for myself better or is what God can do for me better? His plans versus my plans. And the book of Hebrews is so clear to say Jesus is better. Better than anything you've had before. Better than all the religiousness and, um, and, and, and things that you're used to. The visual, the smells, everything. Uh, the security. Jesus is better. And you know, it was a wrestling match in my own heart because as I said, if, I, if it was just completely left up to me, I would have chosen that life because I wanted to be important. Somebody who people would know and somebody who um, people may look up to or whatever you want to say. I, over the years, I have to just say this to you, my people. You know, there are still days that I want to be rich. <laughs> There are still days where I kind of think, oh, well, that would have been a cool life. But I have to tell you at the same time, 
I have not had any regrets in all these years since then because Jesus has been better. Jesus has been my Savior. Jesus has been my provider. Jesus has been good. Jesus has um, done more than I probably ever could have tried on my own. And it's been a, 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 a testimony. When um, I was in my later teen years getting ready to go to college, this is a few years before that, I also had the privilege of having my maternal grandmother live in our home with us. Um, my mom's mom. She was a farmer's wife, and she was a homemaker. And um, like many Indian Christian families, you know, they came from very, very rural village farm areas. And uh, after my grandfather passed away, my grandmother lived with us for a few years. And we have this custom in our culture, but in many cultures as well. Um, but it was surely true in our house. Um, it was important that we had the oldest person in our family say a prayer of blessing before we went off to do something important. So there I was leaving for college, and my dad and my mom said, you need to let your grandmother pray for you. And so we gathered and brought her out of the bedroom, and she prayed. And by that point, my grandmother's memory was mostly gone. You know, she raised me for about two years of my life, but she couldn't even immediately say that it was me. She couldn't recognize my face so much. But here's what was fascinating. When she prayed, it was like she was 20 because her prayers were crystal clear because her heart was always talking to her Savior. Her heart was always talking to the Lord. It was like they never had lost connection even though she had with us Hume, uh, those who are living around her. And this is where we kind of pick up in the book of Hebrews in this last section. Friends, this is a benediction. It is mainly a benediction and a blessing for these Hebrew Christians who are ready to go back, who are thinking this persecution's too much, this life is too challenging to stand up for Christ. And the author, we don't know exactly who it is, um, I tend to wish that it was the Apostle Paul, but it, it very likely may not be, according to many scholars, as you remember us talking about at the beginning. It could have been Apollos. It could have been Barnabas. It could have even been Dr. Luke, whose Greek was better, but probably not. Um, the Apostle Paul had a little bit more rougher tones and rougher Greek. But here's the thing, though. The theology is the same. The doctrine of Christ is so high, the Christology is so high that, um, that the writer kind of uh, uh, um, continues the way Paul does in, in his letter. So we come to this benediction. Um, but before we get to that in verse 20, I want to share with you just in passing the few verses that come before it. And it says a few points. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Listen, the Apostle um, I'm sorry, I'm saying the Apostle Paul. The writer is telling these original readers, um, it's hard. It's hard living in this situation. It's hard even being part of the Christian church. But the Lord has appointed leaders. The Lord has appointed elders and those who are overseers who are accountable for your soul spiritually. So it's to your advantage to listen to them, to heed them, 
to submit to them. That doesn't mean you just go along with everything without comparing what's being said in God's Word. But these leaders are given by God's appointment under His will and sovereignty. And so it's good for us, brothers and sisters, to submit to the Lord's um, to the Lord's people, to the Lord's servants. And then in verse 18, it says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. You know, as congregants, we always pray for ourselves, for our church, right? Just as Dan did for many. But it's also important to pray for the leaders, because we too, those of us who are responsible and accountable, we also want to live honorably and with a clear conscience. And so it's, it's such a humbling little section here where the writer says, please pray for us too. Pray for us too. This is hard. It's not easy uh, having charge spiritually over so many. And then he says, especially that I may be restored to you. We don't know if the, the author had very likely been with them before, but now he's not. And um, we, don't, we don't even know where the congregation is, if it's actually in Rome or in a different place um, altogether. But, but notice these two things. Um, obey, submit, pray. All, all good things for us practically. Jeff shared some of that before. And now we come to this little section starting at verse 20. There's two parts. A benediction in verses 20 and 21 and then in verses 20 to 25, words of final greetings. That's often done in letters. By the way, this is a letter that the author is writing to these Hebrew Christians, right? But it reads like a sermon because there's so much doctrine and encouragement and um, um, warnings uh, in this. If you read it out loud the way it was meant to be done in that original setting, it's probably, it probably would take you an hour. It's, a, in some ways, an hour-long letter that's being read at the church. So the author sends this letter to this congregation that he knows and loves. Uh, even though we're not told the author's name, the congregation knew who this was because they talk about people in common like Timothy. And we read something about Timothy in the end of this passage. Notice it says, Timothy has been released. That's something we probably have never heard about, about Timothy before, that he also wandered in persecution, very likely imprisoned, and now he's released. And the author says, I hope I too can, with Timothy, come back and see you again. Well, now we come to this benediction. And the most important part of this is sort of the climax of a, a part of verse 21. Let me read that to you. It says in verse 21, um, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will. Do you know that the writer is writing then and to us now that God is the one who equips us. He is the one who gives us what we need. He is the one who provides everything for us so that we may do His will. That's sort of the climax of this, to say you're not alone. Isn't that a good message for you? You are not alone. You do not have to run this race called the Christian life on your own. You don't have to, uh, to worry about getting to the end as if it's all on your own. In other words, God doesn't just save us and say, now go, get holy, <laughs> Make it to the end. 
run well, good luck. That's not what he does. He um, very clearly in this passage tells us that God, he, uh, the Lord himself will equip us with everything good that we may do his will. That's good news for me, that I'm not running this race on my own power. And um, we come to a few different points in this benediction, okay? And I'm going to go through them somewhat quickly uh, that sort of help us to understand how we can run this race, how we can make it to the end, how we can um, live the Christian life. The Christian life is not easy. It wasn't for Timothy. It wasn't for Paul. Very likely uh, for this congregation. And I'm going to highlight some of those things for you briefly, okay? The first is in... um, in the part where it says, now may the God of peace. You know, the Apostle Paul often talked about the peace of God or the God of peace. And so this writer also picks up on that idea. And I want you to think about this. It's surprising that any of us can call God the God of peace, isn't it? Well, let me get to the the crux of why. We were God's enemies. That's what Romans chapter 5 and the Apostle Paul tells us. We were the enemies of God in enmity with God. It's as if uh, when God sees us, He would call on the armies of heaven to do battle against us. But instead of a battle scene, do you know what you have? The God of peace. The One who meets us to embrace us and to hold us. Isn't that good news for you? Because listen... Every single one of us deserves the wrath of God. That battle scene is what we should expect, that God would come out for the glory of His name and fight against all evil and all sin. The Scripture says He cannot even look at sin, right? Cannot even wink at sin. And yet, it's surprising that we can call God the God of peace here. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the God of angel armies. But aren't you glad that He doesn't march out against us, but for us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so, Romans 5, one of my favorite verses, verse 8, is in that chapter where it says, but God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So instead of being enemies, we are the friends of God. And so we call Him the God of peace. Um, Let me add a point here. We should not live our lives, like many people are prone to do, even me. We try to live our lives to make that peace happen. You know, like if I do enough, like if I show up at all the right places, if I'm a good enough Christian, a good enough dad, a good enough husband, then God will be at peace with me. That is not what Christianity is at all is about. We live because God is at peace with us already in Jesus His Son. We live the life that He calls us to live because God is already at peace with us. We are not trying to make that happen as if we could. We cannot. We cannot ever achieve peace with God. But He has done that for us. So now, this is what I love. We don't look over our shoulders. We don't live in fear. We know that we are at peace with God because of what Jesus has already done. The second thing is the power that is um, displayed 
in the verse that is before us. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Listen, He raised Jesus. God the Father raised His Son Jesus from the dead. And this um, talks about the ultimate and awesome power of God. And why is that important? Think about that race again. Think about the Christian life that you're called to. Do you realize that the very power that raised Jesus from the grave is the power that you have in you every day as believers? We are empowered not with whatever you have on your own. You are empowered with the very power of God in the resurrection. By the resurrection of Jesus, God equips us to live the way that He wants us to live. Um, this is a very well-known thing in Romans um, chapter 8. Again, verse 11, it says this, the Apostle Paul says, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, listen, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He's at work in you through His power. So first, you're at peace with God. Don't fear. Don't strive after that. If you are in Jesus, you have peace with God already. God is not uh, in, at enmity with you. But, and, and secondly, His power, His resurrection power, um, which is only mentioned once here, is, is given to us to be able to live this, this Christian life. Um, thirdly, I'm going to mention the sovereignty of God through a phrase that's here. Listen, He brought up again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great, and I'm going to say dot, dot, dot. If you have been following in the book of Hebrews, what would you think would come next? He brought up again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great, you would, you, couldn't you easily have thought the great high priest? Because that's what the book of Hebrews is all about, the great priesthood of Jesus, the great high priest who is above any other priest in, the, in a new order, in the order of Melchizedek. But surprisingly, it's not saying the great high priest. It says the great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd of the sheep. Uh, the great shepherd of the sheep. It emphasizes his sovereignty over us. Listen, what does a shepherd do for a sheep? He watches over, he looks over. He guides, He protects, He feeds, He takes care of every need. This is the sovereignty of God. You're never not under His watchful eye. You're never not being looked after or cared for. He is always keeping an eye on you as the apple of His eye, as His, as his treasured position. As His treasured possession. And we see this from the Psalmist David in Psalm 23, which we'll come to in a little bit as well. He is watching over us every time. Do you remember what Jesus said to His disciples? I will never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is with His people as the great shepherd of the sheep so that we can live this life that we're given. I am so glad that the Lord is always watching over me because I don't trust myself. I don't trust my own thoughts or abilities to know that this is the right thing or this is the right path. But I do have a shepherd who sometimes pulls me back and sometimes gently guides me into another way, into another direction. 
He is not only the God of peace, the God whose power gives us ability to live this life and run the race, but He is the shepherd of the sheep and His sovereignty is over us, watching over us. Fourthly, I want to talk about a word that's an old English word called propitiation. But let me first read you uh, the section in verse 20. By the blood of the eternal covenant, by the blood of the eternal covenant. That is the crux of the Gospel, isn't it? The blood of this new covenant is the Lamb of God whose blood was shed for us. And it is a satisfaction for sins. You know, um, in the book of Hebrews, it says that the blood of bulls and goats cannot forgive sin. But the blood of Jesus has forgiven sin once for all. His sacrifice was once, only once, and once for all. And so there is a satisfaction for our sins. You know the word propitiation, as I kind of looked it up again, it's appeasing God. Satisfying for the, the wrong that's been done. And a propitiation has been made for us. In 1 John 2, 2, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins. He has made everything right. Your sins have been forever separated from you. As the Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? We need to know that we can live this Christian life even though it's hard to fight against sin, and even though it's discouraging, we can trust that because of the blood of the eternal covenant, we can overcome. Because we are right with God because of the blood of Jesus. I love the words of that great hymn, It is well with my soul. It ends, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Do you know why? Because my sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. By the blood of the eternal covenant, listen, drowned to the floor of the ocean, never to be brought up again, never to be remembered again. Our sins are separated from us because of the blood of the new covenant. I've told you guys often, I, I grew up in a Jewish town. I often think of my Jewish friends and I kind of think, boy, will they ever feel like they're okay? Will they ever feel like they've done enough? But one sacrifice made once and for all by the blood of Jesus has made us um, forgiven and has satisfied the penalty of our sins. Well, the other thing that he mentions here, the author mentions, is in verse 21. And let me read this. Equipping you with every good thing that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. God is at work with you and in you to make your good works possible. You know, brothers and sisters, I'm preaching to the choir, but you know that you were not saved by good works no matter what you do or can do, right? But we are saved to good works. We are saved to live a fruitful life. We are saved to be able to go out to our neighborhoods and to the world, to the countries of the world. We are equipped to be able to do good things. 
And all that good work is possible in us because of what He has already done and He equips us. I said in the first service, sometimes being a dad of five children is really hard. Some days it's really hard. And you guys know who are parents and those who have been around children, it gets wearisome, tired, you pull out your hair, you scream a little. (laughs) All these things can happen, right? There are days where I'm like, who do I call? You know, there's nobody to call. And then I realize that there is this amazing privilege that the Lord reminds me of, and that is my children who grow up in my house hearing about the goodness and love of the Lord in Jesus who died for their sins and makes them free. They will go places I will never go. They will talk to souls that I will never talk to. Some of you have children in college. My oldest has only been gone a month, but he is in Tuscaloosa right now, quarantining in some, on some days. But I often pray to him, Lord, let him have one good conversation. Let him be able to use what you have taught him, what you have done for him as a testimony. Um, it is what God has done already in us that allows us to have a life of good works. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8-10, through that we were not saved by works, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then he also says that, that we are God's workmanship. He does something in us. He has something prepared for us. Each and every one of you has a calling. Maybe in the medical field or the business field or maybe as a, as a housewife or a homemaker or a homeschool mom. Whatever your calling is, it's different than mine. But here's the thing. He equips us and gives us the power to live a life of good works that glorify your Father in heaven, to be fruitful and productive so that He will come back and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let me mention one other thing in verse 21. Through Jesus Christ. Do you know why we can do any and all of these things, brothers and sisters? Because we are so integrated with Jesus. Our union with Christ enables us to live this life well and to run well, right? Um, Do you remember what Jesus said when He was preaching in Nazareth? Behold, I have come to do your will. And then at other places He said, My food is to do the will of my heavenly Father. Well, how do we do that? How do we do God's will instead of my own will? My own way, my own path and desire. It's this. Jesus in me. Through Jesus. The union with Christ enables me to also say, Lord, I'm fighting this, but I want to do Your will instead of my own will. And finally, to whom be glory forever and ever. You know, we are well known in our community for talking about the Wester Confession, Westminster Confession and the Westminster Shorter Catechism. You all know number one, right? So I'm going to ask you to think of it again. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Listen, there is one thing we're here to do. It's to bring glory to Jesus and to His Father. For His glory 
to whom be glory forever and ever. He gets all the praise and the glory from our lives. If He elevates you and gives you high positions, if He, if he gives you wealth and prestige and a good name, let it be for the glory of God. I encourage all the young people here, study as much as you can. Get all the good learning you can from good teachers and colleges and professors. Do and be all that you can and then lay them at the foot of Jesus and say, Lord, here I am, your servant. Use it. Use everything that I am and everything that you have given me for your glory, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Um, There are days when the Lord, you know, shakes me and rattles me and I realize, hey, you know what? Hear this confession. Lord, everything good in my life is from You and because of You. It's not because of me. Every single good thing that has come into my life is because of You and from You. Finally, I'm going to share with you a word he says in these final greetings. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. Do you notice that? He says, bear with my word of exhortation. This is an hour-long letter that he's written that's really kind of a sermon. Um, It's kind of hard listening to an hour-long letter, right, in church. But that's what it was meant to be. But here's what the, uh, what the writer is getting at. He's saying, you know, I've written challenging things to you. Convicting things to you. This hasn't been just a fluffy letter of pats on the back. I've written things to shake you and scare you when he talked about apostasy. I know this hasn't been an easy thing to hear, but bear with my exhortation. Do you know why? Because this is good for your soul. It's good for you. The Word of God will shape you and refine you and and purify you. You need the Word of God as hard as it is to hear. Listen, that's part of my job, to make you uncomfortable. I need to comfort those who are disturbed and disturb those who are comforted. Too much. The Word of God is to convict us and to, um, to, to challenge us, to grow us. And so the, the, the writer says, bear with my exhortation. This is, this is God's Word. You need it. You need it every day. Come, be part of the community of faith. Listen to God's Word every day if you can. Study it. Meditate on it. Bear with my Word. This is going to be good for you. We make time for so many other things, don't you? You make time for TV series and special activities and entertainment. Would you bear up with hearing and listening and meditating on the Word of God and praying His thoughts back to Him. Brothers and sisters, this whole book is about Jesus. That Jesus is better. His way is better. All of the Scriptures point to the Son, the Messiah. And I want to just highlight for you in closing how many ways and times the author of Hebrews talks about Jesus in different ways. You ready? As we close, I'm just going to share this with you. How significant keeping your eyes on this Jesus is, this Messiah. He is the heir of all things. He is the apostle and high priest of our faith. This is all directly from the different chapters of Hebrews. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the captain of our salvation. He is Christ. He is the firstborn. He is the forerunner. He is God. 
He is our helper, the image of the invisible God. He is Jesus. He is Lord. He is mediator. He is minister. He is high priest. He is the Son of God. He is testator, the truth, the veil, the Word of God. And today in this passage, in chapter 13, verse 20, He is the great shepherd of the sheep. Listen, make no mistake, Jesus Christ is God. He is the Son of God. And the only way you can have joy and peace. He says, no man comes to the Father except through Me. This is our message to the world around us. For my children and your children and every single one of us to bring people to an understanding and to meet Jesus through His Word. I told you what a privilege it's been to go through this book of um, Hebrews. Uh, Even though it's been a long series, I trust that Every single time you've been challenged, maybe the fires got stoked a little bit higher. Maybe you realize you don't love Jesus as much as you think you do. This whole book, if there could be a second letter, it would be you need to love him more. You need to chase after him more because he is everything. If I could sum it up, if I could say, The summary of Hebrews in a sentence, I'd like to say it as I close and we go to communion. Listen, as we have eyes to look to Jesus and do His will, we can stay the course and run the race of the Christian life well, owing everything to Him who is the author and finisher of our faith. And listen, and everything in between. And everything in between. (laughs) between the beginning and the end and all that's in between. It's by trusting Him and looking to Him and running to Him. He equips you and as my grandma blessed me, this writer tells us that God of peace blesses us to say, now go run! Go run to your neighborhoods. Go run to Colombia. Go run to Japan. Go run to your neighborhoods. Go run everywhere that you can because this is how to have life and life eternal. Praise be to God. If you let us, we're going to keep digging and digging and digging into this Word and raising and raising and raising up the name of Jesus. Praise be to the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this magnificent book and for allowing us to just meditate and dwell on it for all these weeks. And I ask, Lord, that now You would cover us, protect us, be our great shepherd. Lord, um, keep us from harm and evil and enable us to go to the cool waters and to be refreshed by You and to rest in Your arms. Lord, we love You. Give us eyes to see this Jesus even clearer and to fall in love with Him even deeper. And it is in His name we pray. Amen.